Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, just a couple of quick things about next week so that uh, all of you can be a part of this process. Uh, we're looking forward to a big crowd, and uh, we'll have about 100 extra chairs that will be there to help everyone. But last week, uh, we passed out one of these yard signs uh, to each person. So if you did not get one of these um, from last week, if you could pick one up and just put it in your yard. Now, I want you to know this is a very difficult task. It takes about 11 seconds. You put it in, kind of go both sides, and then you leave it, okay? And it will stick there. So if you need any help on knowing how to do that, let me know because I am qualified, okay? I could do it. So if you can uh, pick one of those up, I think we have probably about 90 uh, of those left. And so if you can pick one up, uh, that'd be great. Uh, second thing, next week, uh, all of you probably will come to the 1045. So that'll be great. Come to the 1045 celebration, invite people to come with you. Um, if for some reason you're not able to come to the 1045 or the person you're inviting likes to get up early, get up early with them and come to the nine o'clock because we know this particular celebration will be packed. Now, if you invite them to the 1045, don't go to the nine o'clock and let them go to the 1045. That's not good. Okay. That, that will not help us, but actually have them come at the same time. Now, this is the best way to help people. Don't just invite them and then go see you in the gym. Because when they get in the gym, they're going to be like, whoa, where am I at? You know? And what you want to do is meet them at the front. Just say, hey, I'll meet you at the lobby. I'll meet you at the uh, uh, front area there. And that would be great. I had a woman in the first celebration that told me that she had reached out to a coworker over Christmas and invited her to come. And they're going to come. And she said, and I told them I'd meet them out there so they don't get lost. So do that as well. And then on Saturday night, uh, we have set up. We're going to set up here at 6 o'clock so that no one has to get up early to come in there. But if you can come for just an hour from 6 to 7, uh, if you can come and be a part of that, that'd be great. We're going to have 100 more chairs to try to put uh, people in. We'll have them off the rafters if we have to, uh, you know, whatever it is that it'll take to get people in here. And uh, so we want you to do that. Now, if you do that, after uh, that, the setup, we will have uh, actual uh, food for you. So there will be a game night, and there will be some food that will be taking place uh, after the setup. So it will be a fun time to kind of hang out. So uh, we'd encourage you uh, to do that. Now, if you're not able to help on Saturday, we need help on Sunday as well. We'd really like to have people in the parking lot uh, greeting people. Now, if you're a person who is not a happy person, don't go out there. We don't want you. Come in here. We'll have a little place for you. See, there's many chairs right there. We'll put all the grumpy people there, okay? But if you're halfway happy and you'd like to go out and just... Now, don't be so happy that you jump on people and, like, hug them and kiss them. And, no, don't be weird. If you're going to do that, go to the bridge or go to Commonway, you know, but don't... Just joking, just joking. I like those guys. But seriously, if you do that, go there. Um, but if you could do that, that would be awesome. And then finally, if, if you're a JAR Kids volunteer, 
I want to challenge you with something because we're going to have a lot of kids up there. Attend one celebration, serve in jar kids. Attend in one, serve in jar kids. Because we're going to have a lot of kids, and if you don't go up there to help, they're going to start running up and down through the uh, aisles here. So we don't want that. All right, last thing, and then we're done. Parking is going to be a premium. We're going to be selling passes for $25. No, I'm joking. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Hey, actually, two businesses have been very gracious to us. They're going to allow us to park in their parking lot. So the uh, Defer Varan parking lot, which is an attorney's office right across from Cannon Commons, you can go there, or the Muncie Music Center, which is right behind the building over here. Either one of those places you can go and park, and uh, that will alleviate some parking for other people. Okay. Everybody good with that? If you need an update, let me know. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a great Sunday, and uh, we'll look forward to how God's going to use it uh, next Sunday for his honor and his glory. Well, hey, before we jump in, uh, let me just pray with us real quick, and we'll go from there. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. And thank you, God, for each person who is here today. There are some people who are here for the first time, and they're checking things out. And there are some people who have been here multiple times. But God, you are the same God who wants to speak your love into each person's life. And so God, would you do that right now? And would you help us this week? Would you fire us up to do our best inviting this week as Easter comes? Kind of the Super Bowl of Christianity, God. We want to see you move and work. So give us your faith and energy to invite, God. We know the stakes are high. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you transform lives? Would you speak to people's hearts, God? I have very little to say that would do anything to impact anyone's life here. But I know, God, that through your spirit, you can work in people's lives. And so would you do that now so that your name would be made great? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that at the age of 28... I looked in the mirror of our bathroom one day, and I did a kind of self-evaluation. And one of the things that I found out was that I was not much of a risk taker when it came to my faith. I didn't mind risking other things, uh, driving fast, you know, uh, going up in airplanes, uh, any of those kind of things. I had no problem taking those kind of risks. But when it came to my faith, I just wasn't much of a risk taker. But one of the things that I found was that as I did this spiritual evaluation of myself, what I found was that everyone around me was a Christian. Every single person was a Christ follower. I mean, even their dogs and cats were Christians. You know, I mean, it was like, Christian, uh, you know, on steroids. And I went through most of my early 20s like this. And as I looked at it, I was like, but that's not what the Bible calls us to do. And I sensed God's Spirit telling me, I didn't call you, Chris, to be the huddle-cuddle pastor. Why don't you come up here and huddle and cuddle with me? Let's cuddle-cuddle. But what I called you to do was not to like just huddle and cuddle with a whole bunch of Christ followers, but that you would actually go into the world 
and love on people who were disconnected from Christ and the church. And so I went to this conference where there was a uh, pastor there by the name of Bill, Bill Hybels who uh, wrote a book, a great book if uh, any of you would like to read it. It's called uh, Walk Across the Room, and I'd encourage you to do so. But while I was at this conference, he uh, stood up in front of all these pastors and church leaders, and he said this, when are you going to get off your butts? And actually, he actually did say butts, too. I was like, I like that guy. Uh, when are you going to get off your butts and walk across the room and reach out to someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know about his church? And so I left from that conference and I was all fired up. And Jennifer and I had just recently moved here to Muncie. And when we got to Muncie, I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to everybody in my neighborhood. And they're all going to be the first people to attend this church that God's calling me to be a part of. Anyone want to know what I did? Nothing. I sat on my couch and I was a couch potato for the first year we lived here in Muncie. And I would not do anything whatsoever except after I barricaded myself in, I would whine to God. Oh, God, why are you not reaching my neighborhood? Why aren't you doing something to help my neighbors understand who Jesus is? And so this went on for about a year, and my wife was about ready to kick me off the couch, you know, and kick me off the curb. But then... One day, I'm sitting in our living room, and I'm looking out the front window, and I notice my neighbor is taking out his trash. And I get this prompting in my spirit, not audibly, but just in my spirit, take the trash out. But I didn't have anything in the trash can. There was nothing there. Our trash day you know, was that day, but I didn't have anything. I'm like, oh, you mean you want me to go ahead and get all the trash baskets out? And then, no, take it out now. So I go with this empty green trash can that has nothing in it all the way to the edge of the street and I stop and I walk about 20 feet across the street and I introduce myself to my neighbor and I go, hey, my name's Chris. Uh, you know, we're kind of new here. And he said, hey, my name's Phil. And we began a friendship that continued and continued. So I started thinking to myself, well, hey, you know, this walking across the room, walking across the street, this isn't too bad. I'm going to do this again. So we had some new neighbors that moved in two houses down from us. And so I walked down to their house. But this time I thought to make sure that I, you know, kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. I brought some blockbuster popcorn to help it out. By the way, if you have blockbuster anything, it's no good anymore. We, we have like 10 gift cards that we were going to give to our neighbors. They are not good for anything. But I walk down there and I have this popcorn. I'm, you know, kind of nervous. I'm prayed up though. And I go and I knock on the door and I have this popcorn and they come to the door and I'm like, Hey, I noticed you moved in and we're your neighbors a couple of them. They're like, Oh, we're Jeff and Shannon. Come on in. And I give this popcorn to them and they have two young children and we build a friendship with them and everything's going great. I'm thinking to myself, this walk across the room thing, this is it. 
So another day I'm looking, uh, I'm in our front living room. I look out and I see one of our neighbors out working in his yard. He's just working in his yard. I'm like, ah, this is going to work again. So I get my blockbuster popcorn. I walk out. I'm prayed up, man. I'm like, this is going to be cool. I walk up to him and all of a sudden he's working in his yard. And then he looks around and he sees me coming. And no joke, he gets up and he starts walking to the house. (laughs) And he starts walking uh, slowly at first. And I yell out to him like, hey, we're your neighbors over here. And he kind of does one of these things. He just keeps on walking. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, maybe he didn't hear me the first time. So I kind of get my dad's pastor voice. My dad used to always be like, the Lord said, you know, and. And so I, my dad a, was a pastor too, so I'm like, okay, I'll get the, you know, the pastor voice. I'm like, hey, we're your neighbor. I got some popcorn for you. And I'm not kidding. It was like fitness walking. I'll never forget his answer like this. He gets all the way to the door. He opens the door. He slams the door shut. Now, at this point, any normal person would know not to go in there. I'm not normal. So I go up to the door and I start knocking. I'm like looking in the window, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And he never came to the door. So here I have my, you know, blockbuster popcorn. And it's like, you know, Eeyore. I've got my head down. Woe is me. This walk across where the room thing doesn't work. I walk all the back and I feel dejected and just down discouraged. But 10 years go by. And guess what happened? Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. The guy never got any closer. There was no happy ending. He never got closer to Christ. And you know how God has a way every once in a while just kind of messing with you? True story. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I was here at the Y this week because I had to pick something up. I'm getting ready to walk out to get into my car. I'm walking. It's that neighbor. I haven't seen him in eight years. He's walking like this. I'm like, hey, how you doing? You remember? And I am not kidding you. He went just like this. Ignored me. So this is the point, folks. We're all in this together. All of us feel awkward about taking risk to try to do anything to help friends, family, coworkers to get connected to Christ. All of us, including me. And it's so difficult for us to ever think that, well, God couldn't use me in the midst of that. But he can. He really can. And today, what I want us to do is I want to give us some encouragement. I want to encourage all of us in this place today, because we all need direction, we all need some help in this area, of how to reach our friends who are disconnected from Christ in the church. Now, Paul the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, probably is the best person to teach us how to do this. He planted 14 churches. He started 14 churches. Some uh, scholars believe upwards to 20. I started one. And folks, you've almost killed me, okay? I mean, I just want you to know. But, But this guy, he did everything. And He is considered the number one faith chair of the Christian faith out of anyone ever in the history of the world. 
And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he kind of gives his philosophy on how about going to do this. If you want to learn the best way to do it, you you look at the person who did it the best, and that's Paul. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a, what's it say? A servant to who? A servant to all that I might win more of them. In other words, Paul says that the driving focus of his life is to win people to Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, if we would hear that today, if someone came up to us and we said, hey, what's the goal of your life? And they're like, to win as many people to Christ as I can. You know what we would do? We'd be like, whoa, a little bit pushy, don't you think? I mean, we all have grown up in an era in which we've seen people before that come to the door. You come to the door, you're like, hey, how are you? You need Jesus. You're like, I don't need that Jesus voice. And we all know people who are pamphlet pushers. They have all these little pamphlets they're giving us. They're trying to help us out. You see them in bathrooms all the time. You know, like, you know, you go to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. You don't go to the bathroom to go, hey, the undertaker, or you took your shoes off this morning. The undertaker will take them off tonight. Oh, come to Jesus. Ah, that's going to do it, you know. Or we'll have people that want to try to convert us. And, and so many of us in the United States, we have a very difficult time thinking about a person who would intentionally share their faith with others. We just struggle with that. But this is one of the things that I've learned as I've traveled outside the U.S. And it happened the very first time and each time since then. The very first time I went to West Africa in a country called Senegal. And when I got there, I started sharing with different people of some face, no face. Some of them were their tribal face. And I would start talking about, they'd be like, well, what's important to you? And I would start telling them about Christ. And I'd say, well, well, Jesus, is he's the son of God and he's got good news. And they're like, oh, would you share? Please, please, would you share about that good news? I, I want to hear it. Now, folks, I've been in Muncie since 1998. I've never gone up to someone and said, hey, I've got some good news to tell you. And they're like, oh, please share, please share. They're like, good news, dude, we're getting out of here, you know. But no, no, no. In the U.S., we have a a greater struggle of being able to listen to a good news. But in other countries, when you say, I've got some good news, it's the good news of Jesus. They're like, oh, it's good news. It's good news. So even though we have to be sensitive to our culture, folks, what we don't have to do is we don't have to give up on the dream of what it means to reach out to people who are disconnected from Christ and the church. The dream that Paul had, we don't have to walk away from because he really did believe that if Christ was the center of their life, their life would be better. He genuinely believed that. And the thing is, for every single one of us who is here this morning, and some of you are like, hey, man, I'm just checking this thing out. Cool. We're glad you're here. But if you kind of made a commitment, you finally have to decide how much of a center of my life is it, or is it just something on the periphery? Paul said this. He said, 
I want you to reach out to others, but I want you to do it a certain way. You see, Paul had a specific way that he thought was most successful. And he said this, if you want to be a part of reaching those for Christ, then you must be a servant of all. He wanted us to be a servant of all people. In other words, in Paul's plan in sharing the good news, the very first thing, which is your first fill-in, is this. It's about serving, not superiority. It's about serving, not superiority. Now, this was a really, really big thing for Paul. And he felt strongly about it. Now, I told you 1 Corinthians, and some of you are like, Corinthians, what's that about? Okay, so there is this city, it's still there today, called Corinth. It's in present-day Greece. And Paul starts this church there. Now, Corinth was known as kind of Las Vegas. Whatever happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas, right? But part of Corinth also was not just was it like Las Vegas, but it was also the intellectual elites of all of the world came there. The smartest of the smart, the highest intellectual people were there. They were the Hobbits and the Princetons and the Yales. They were all there in Corinth as well. And Paul is being pressured by the church to be one of those superior leaders in this city. Not a humble leader, not someone who is weak, not someone who is a lowly person who does humble tasks, but they wanted him to be superior. They actually wanted him to be sophisticated. And it's very, very interesting that this word sophistication actually finds its root, its context, in what we're talking about today. You see, the superior leaders in Corinth the type of leaders that the church wanted Paul to be. Paul's their pastor. They want him to be superior and to be like all the other leaders. They actually had a name and they were called sophist. That's where we get our word sophistication from. And sophists were these intellectual speakers who were the philosophers of their day. They were the Plato's, the Socrates, the Aristotle's, these Big, deep type of thinkers. They were in Corinth. People like that. And one of the things that they were known for in this society is that they were the most articulate speakers of anyone around. And in that culture, they were treated like Hollywood stars. So if you can imagine the red carpet comes out, the sophists are walking on the red carpet. Everybody knows them. They're getting their pictures taken. They're talking to everyone. And people actually paid money to hear them speak. And not only did the sophists kind of have this fame and entertainment thing going on, but they were wealthy. They had all kinds of money. They were the Bill Gates of their day. They were the top dogs, and they flaunted it. 
They actually had special robes that they would wear and tassels that were hanging. And they would carry themselves in such a way that I am the winner and all of you are losers. And for sure, they never lowered themselves to the problems of just the average, normal, everyday person. So Paul's like getting all this pressure from this church in Corinth, like, Paul, would you quit being a servant? We want you to be superior. We want you to be the top dog. We don't want you to just be a servant. We want you to be a sophisticated leader like the sophist. And Paul says, if you want me to keep being your pastor, it ain't going to happen. No way. I'm not going to be like that. I am not going to be like all the other superior leaders because I know this, that if you're going to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, if you're going to share the New Testament, the whole point is about being a servant. And if you think about it, that's the whole message of the Bible. God is in heaven for eons upon eons. And finally, one day he says, I'm going to come downstairs to earth. And Jesus comes into our presence. But he doesn't come as a conquering king, even though he left a kingly throne. But he actually comes down and he begins to start serving the lowest of all people. Even to the point that he says, I'm serving them, but they're not getting the message. And I love them so much. I'll go to a cross and I'll die on a cross and I'll take all their guilt, all their sin, all their junk, all their mess ups, and they can be set free. Even to the point of serving like that. And so Jesus lowers himself. And then Jesus has this message that he challenges to everyone else, that he wants them to lower themselves. Anyone that follows Jesus, that you would be a servant, someone who would lower yourself as well. Now, I have a feeling that all of you have met a Christian who will let you know that they're a Christian. And I bet you've met them because they are the type of people that have a skybox view of the world. They're up in the skybox, they're in the suite, and they're looking down, and they're like, oh, but I have the answers. It's like they're way up here, and they think that they're better than everyone else, and they have all of these moral standards that they'll let you know that you are not keeping, but they are. In fact, you'll get into conversations with those high elevated people about matters of faith, And they approach it from a higher level. They have all the intellectual knowledge. They have all the moral knowledge. And they let people of faith know that. And it feels condescending, doesn't it? That they have all the answers. And you don't. And you're not close to God. But they are. And it's off-pushing. It really is. And Paul says this. No, 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 no. That's not the way that you're supposed to go about sharing this good news. You are to become a servant. The whole good news message is about a servant coming to planet Earth, even though everybody wanted a ruler and he served people. And Paul 
felt so strongly about this. In fact, he felt so strongly that in verse 20, he says this. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, that is the Jewish law, the Moses law, the law of Moses, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now you read all that and you're like, man, that dude was smart because I don't get this. I understand. I went to seminary for four years and I still don't get him, okay? But he's a really smart guy. And this is the thing that you simply need to know about Paul. He was a Jew. But he wasn't just any normal Jew. He was of the Pharisee group. In other words, he was one of the highest ranking Jewish teachers that there were. And he realized that he had power. You see, because what Paul had to understand is that if he was going to keep up this image of being one of the most intelligent and high-ranking Jewish leaders, he had to keep the Moses Law. Now, most of you go, Moses Law, okay, what's that about? 613 rules and regulations to be kept. Everyone who took on that role, you had to keep all of those. And Paul did. He kept all of them. And you know what his job was? He looked around at all the other Jewish people who were not keeping them, and he would put them down, get them into their place. And that was his whole life. And then all of a sudden, there was this group called The Way that was talking about this guy named Jesus, but they really didn't really seem like they were following the Jewish laws very much. They were following this Jesus guy now, and he would actually go to the places where these Christians were at and We're following the way and he would persecute them and he would watch them die. He would help kill Christians because they weren't keeping all of the 613 rules. And then one day Paul's getting ready to go get rid of some more Christians and he's walking down this road and all of a sudden this light comes down to him. A supernatural experience happens where Christ comes to him and says, why are you persecuting my church? He goes blind for three days. He comes out of that and his life is totally changed. That all he wants to do for the rest of his life is to point people to Christ. And once he comes to Jesus, he turns it around. And he's willing to do anything and everything to get people to Christ. That's why, this is why he says, I become a Jew to all Jews. Why? Because this is what he says. If I go to Jerusalem or I go to a place where there are a lot of Jewish people, I'll take all 613 of these rules down on myself. Even though I'm not under the law anymore, I'm not bound to the law, I'll take all of these on myself because I want to win anyone to Christ. I want to be able to share to any Jewish person that the Messiah has actually been found and his name is Jesus. And he's willing to do anything. You see, Paul realized... he. Because he had heard from Christ that it wasn't about 613 laws anymore. It was really about two. Love God and love people. That's it. But he said, I'll be willing to become anything to anyone if it will help them to get to Christ. And I don't want them to feel overwhelmed, so I'll take on all the law if I have to. And so this leads us to the next part of him sharing the good news. It's serving, not superiority. And secondly, it's about serving not separation. 
It's about serving, not separation. You see, there are a lot of people that believe that the right way for Christians to act is to separate themselves from the world. To separate yourselves from every cussing person, every drinking person, every drugging person, every person who's sleeping with this, that, and the other thing. You separate from all of those people because it's bad. And the way that you're going to really express the love of Christ is if you separate yourself from the world. Now, I grew up in a church that actually had this kind of mentality that we were to be separate from the world, that we were not to be in the world. We were to be separate from it. And they would do this interesting thing in Sunday school. They had this little phrase that they would teach us. It went like this. Don't, sm- don't, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Let me say it again. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Because if you don't do those things, woo, Jesus is going to be praised. And all of a sudden, that became the ethos, like all of that stuff. I mean, if you could just separate yourself from the rest of the world, I was taught that, oh, it'll be so much better. And so what would happen is I, I only grew up around mainly kids that were in the church. And many Christ followers think this same philosophy. But Paul said this, no, 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 no. Don't run away from the culture. Don't separate from the culture. Don't add more laws. Don't take a Bible that already is overwhelming to the culture and then you add some more things. You ever see Christ followers do that? All of a sudden they just add a few more things on top of what's already written. No boundaries. Don't cause any division. Instead, identify, Paul would say. What a great message he had for us. Identify with the culture. Now, sometimes people will come up to me and will go, yeah, 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 yeah. But as Christ followers, if we get too much around people that are in the world, then they'll rub off on us and then we'll start looking like that and we'll fall morally. But at some point, I think you just have to ask this question. And for me, it was, is it better to be on the field and I might get some nicks and bruises and I might fall down every once in a while? Or is it better to stand on the sidelines and never get into the game and just allow everyone else to have carnage in their life? But I get to stay safe. Because I'm out of the world. And I think Paul would say this. To the extent that you can. To the extent that you can. And not all of us can. But to the extent that you can. Engage. Engage. I got a text this week from a guy in our church who has battled alcoholism. And he's on a road to recovery right now. And he's living a life of sobriety, and I'm so proud of him. He was at our first celebration, and uh, a big guy gave him a hug. He's like, oh, man, thanks. And uh, he sent me this text this week, and this is what he said. An old party friend passed away last week, 
and his funeral will put me in contact with most of my old partying crew. I'm going to the funeral, and I plan on simply showing God's love while I'm there. And I thought, I'm so proud of this guy. He didn't say, oh, one of my old partying friends died. I'm not going to go back there because it'll suck me back into that culture. No, he said, you know what? God has changed my life, and I want to go to let my friends know that, hey, you know what? God's done something different in my life. And not a heaviness, but out of an act of serving. Now, he didn't do this. When they all went to the bar afterward, he didn't go, hey, I'm in. Ring me up. Because that wouldn't be wise. But he was able to reach out and say, hey, I have not forgotten them. We're, we're still, you're my old crew. It's just I'm hanging with a new crew now, and my life is so much better. I want you to be a part of that. Paul is very clear that when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus, that it's not about superiority, it's not about separation, but it's about serving. And then in verses 21 and 22, he says this. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Then in verse 22, he says, to the weak, I become weak, that I might win the, what's it say? That I might win the weak. I have become how many things? All things to how many people? All people, that by all means I might save some. Here, Paul is very clear. The whole point of understanding the gospel and sharing it with other people is that you find a common ground. And you accept people as is because you've been accepted as is. But don't try to act like a know-it-all and now that you found Jesus, you know everything and you have no weaknesses, you have no struggles, you have no shortcomings. You know, often when people are trying to help other people, the problem is, is that we come across as being strong. And this person that we're helping, they're weak. But Paul said, no, I become weak to help the weak. You see, the third part of Paul's plan is this. It's not about serving. It's about strength. It's not about serving. Or it's about serving, not strength. It's about serving, not strength. Many times we think that if I'm going to have impact in someone else's life, I have to be strong. I have to have it all together. I have to have all my T's uh, you know, crossed and all my I's dotted. I have to have everything together. I have to have this moral thing. I can't show any kind of doubt or struggle or shortcoming. And many times... Why, prevents people from ever getting into the game to actually taking risks for other people is that they think that, well, I'm just not good enough, but once I am, then maybe I will. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't wait till you get good enough. God's already good enough for you. You don't have to worry about that. You'll never be good enough. But you start and God will show up because people love to be around people who are real. In fact, think about this. 
Paul, the guy who wrote over the half of the New Testament, he's considered one of Jesus' closest followers. The face sharer of all face sharers. When he's writing to one of his mentors, a guy by the name of Timothy, he writes to him and you think he's going to have this long list of like all these wonderful things that he has done for the, for the cause of Christ. But look what he says. In Timothy, he says this. Here is a saying that you can trust. It should be accepted completely. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the, what's the word he used to describe himself? He says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner of all. He says, I'm the bottom of the barrel. You can't get lower than me. In fact, I have such a pride issue that God actually had to place a thorn into my side because my pride otherwise would run rampant. He never hesitated to talk about his weaknesses, his shortcomings, his flaws, his vulnerabilities. And folks, people love to engage with people who are real and not putting on an act like they have it together. Don't be fake, be real. Don't put on the happy Jesus smile. I love Jesus. How about you? Would you come to Easter with me? If you don't, you'll go to hell. Hallelujah. (laughs) Don't do that. Folks, it's tempting to be strong. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You should be weak. You should be a servant to all. My oldest daughter, Jordan, three years ago, started playing travel soccer. And my wife, Jennifer, and I, we had no idea about soccer. Isn't it great when your kids pick two sports you know absolutely nothing about? Soccer and swimming. I have no clue. I just sit there most of the time and go, and then they say, no, you're clapping for the wrong thing. You know, sit down. But they were in soccer, and the very first year that she played, I didn't know any of the parents, I didn't know any of the kids, I didn't know the game, I was kind of intimidated by everything. I didn't meet any of the parents, I couldn't tell you any of their names at all. Jordan was seven, she was one of the smaller kids, there were bigger kids, it just was that kind of thing. And then when the season came again, I had like this burden from God. Quit sitting on the sidelines, Chris. I want you to serve the soccer parents. And so, if you're a soccer parent, one of the things you know is that often they have more than one game, if you're on a travel team, in one day. And so what you have to do, you have to go out. They, have, they don't tell you this, but you have to spend about another 500 to to $1,000 just to get your stuff to the soccer game. You have to get one of these wagons. And it has to be one of these things that separates. Then you put all your stuff in that. Then you carry this wagon over 500 fields going back and forth. And it's muddy and nasty and dirty. And you're like, oh, I love my kids. I'm like, I don't love them that much, you know. (laughs) And we're like carrying all this stuff. And you see these parents are like overwhelmed. They have all this stuff over there. And one day I just noticed that there was this woman that was there and, and she had these lawn chairs and she was trying to get everything together. And of course, her kids never help you, right? You're like, hey, I've got a little help. Oh, you're good, mom. You're good, dad. <laughs> Woo. And so I see her. I'm like, hey, uh, could I get your lawn chairs? And she's like, oh, thank you so much. And I get the lawn chairs. And from the time we get to the parking lot or from the field to the parking lot, 
Um, I found out her name was Shauna. I found out that uh, her husband was John. He worked for the railroad. He wasn't able to get off on weekends because of this crazy seniority thing. And uh, so sometimes she's at the games by herself. And I'm like, well, here, I'll help. And we did that, and we get them all there. And then all of a sudden we start talking more. And I didn't even know this, but her daughter actually went to school with my daughter at the same school. And then I found out she had a younger daughter that was close to my daughter's age. And all of a sudden we started talking more. And, you know, they started building a friendship with us and with them. And we started building this friendship and we invited them over to our house and we played together and they invited us to birthday parties and we're going back and forth and we're just building this friendship back and forth, back and forth. And eventually they found out that uh, Jen was a doctor and they were like, oh, that's cool. And then they found out that I was a pastor at the jar. And they heard about some of you and then they got nervous. Actually, they learned about that, too. And we'd have spiritual conversations, and we'd talk, and we'd connect. And uh, they were growing in such amazing ways, uh, all of them together. And then this past spring, I had uh, the privilege to do this. And uh, I got to baptize Shauna. And her kids were growing, and then her husband, John, he and I become really good friends um, I'm the extrovert. He's the introvert. He can fix everything. I break everything. You know, that kind of thing. It's a good friend to have. And uh, he's grown in his faith, and he's such a great dad, such a great dad. And uh, last night, we had the daddy-daughter dance at our school, and uh, we took all four girls, and we had our picture taken. And, folks, you want to know the greatest gift that you'll ever receive is that God says walk across the soccer field and you get to meet people and God uses you in a way to help them to connect and to grow more and you get to do life together and these are our friends and there is nothing better to know that your friends will be with you in eternity together celebrating in heaven. So, how about you? What are you going to do this week? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to walk across the factory floor? Who are you going to walk across the street for? Who are you going to walk across the softball field or the uh, baseball field for? Who are you going to take a walk to engage to take a risk? Who are you going to invite to take one of those cards that we, we give to you? Who are you going to invite next week? Who of you could actually take this sign and you're like, I'm not a sign person. I don't put anything in my sign. I don't want anything in my yard with a sign. Eleven seconds, folks. Bam, bam, you're done. That's it. Who will you take a risk on this week? You know, the greatest risk that was ever taken for you or was ever taken for me took place on a Friday 
And this Friday, we celebrate it. It's called Good Friday. It's like a really good Friday for you and me, for those of us who have called Christ, because we realize that on that Friday, he went to a cross, he died on a cross. He willingly did that so that all of our sins would be taken away, our past, present, and future, everything taken away. And we have new life in him, and life works better. But it was a bad Friday for him. It was a bad Friday for Jesus. Because they beat him, they whipped him, they flogged him. Do you know what it means to be flogged? They take a whip and at the end of the whip they have pieces of metal and of rock and of bone. And they whip the person and when it gets into their back it literally pulls the skin and anything that there is away from it and they knew that if a person took 40 of those they would die you know how many Jesus took 39 and then he gets to the cross And no one threw him on that cross. He said, I'll do it willingly. Put me down there. I'll take the spikes. I'll take the nails. And they raised the cross up. And he died on the cross. You see, it's a good Friday for us. It's a really bad Friday for Jesus. And so every week, the week leading up to Easter... One of the disciplines I have is I watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and I read the Easter story because I don't want to get to Easter, folks, without realizing what Jesus did for me. And you know what I'll do? I'll willingly walk across any place, send as many texts, send Facebook messages. I'll do whatever it takes because compared to what Christ did on the cross, there is nothing that I could do. But I love him. And I want to show my love to him by showing that love to others. So I was thinking today that maybe the way we would close is that for some of us, we just need to get to the cross. And remember what Christ did for us because he loves us so much. And that might propel us then this week to go, you know what, I'm going to take some risk. He took a huge risk for me. I'll take a risk for him. And so I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And uh, we're going to get to the cross.